Welcome to Sound Business from VoiceWorks, delving deep into the world of audio by speaking to some of the most informed people and most creative minds in the industry. I'm Jim Salverson, and today my guest is Anne Charles, and we're talking social audio, maybe the buzz term in audio over the last 12 months. It was really the launch of Clubhouse in March of 2020 that put social audio in everyone's minds, yet now, a few years down the line, it still doesn't appear that anyone's quite cracked the formula yet for creating engaging, entertaining and meaningful two-way conversational audio content. And that's despite major involvement and major investment from some of the biggest players in social media. Today's guest, Anne, is a radio production and tech consultant and also one of the people behind TechCon, which is the UK radio and audio industry's technical and engineering conference. And today she's going to be giving her appraisal of exactly where we're at with social audio, where we're going with social audio and what challenges social audio is going to face. She's also going to share her thoughts on what you could be doing right now to distribute your audio content via social media. And we're going to talk about object-based audio, which, as you'll hear, Anne says is the future of audio production and something that, until this conversation, I had never heard of before. But already, I can see the potential and it's a really exciting area from an audio production point of view. So there is more of that coming later. But let's get stuck in. Today's sound business is with Anne Charles and she's taking us into the world of social audio. Anne Charles, how are you and where are you? Hello, thanks so much for having me. I am currently in South Norfolk, desperately trying to pretend that it's not nearly Christmas. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah, it we all? It's, a funny, it's a funny year, isn't it, at the moment? The time we're recording it is just before Christmas, but it's certainly in the UK. Like last Christmas, it felt sort of like a quiet old-fashioned Christmas, but the Christmas was coming. And this year, it just doesn't really feel like Christmas is happening at all. It's kind of odd. We're in this limbic space aren't we of not yeah. not really knowing what's going on pandemics are rubbish <laughs> yeah they are, they are the main concern for me at the moment is that i don't receive another email that starts how are you in these troubling times that's become my pet hate of the pandemic that's the worst part of anything <laughs> yeah, yeah uh, the new normal <laughs> yeah, yeah. but we're not here to talk about global pandemics today we're here to talk about social audio and audio on social media as well and i think social audio as a term has been one of the buzz phrases in the industry for probably around 18 months or so but it feels like to me that we're still waiting for that great big moment in its development so we should probably start at the very beginning here can you give us a, a summary for those who aren't 100 sure what we're talking about what we mean when we say social audio well, I think that's a really good question because it's such a new term and it's such a nebulous term, isn't it? So mm. for me, I'm starting to think about social audio. It feels to me like social audio is when we're talking about those online live platforms like Clubhouse and Stereo and Twitter Spaces. But then you've also got the related thing of the social sharing of audio, which is about how you can make audio shareable so that you can put clips online and, and make sure that you're getting some good reach for your content. So there's this sort of whole new world of jobs, aren't there, and titles and things that we're all making up mm. as we go along because people haven't done it before. But really, it's going back to a very old fashioned idea of telling stories and sharing the good ones with your friends. That's all it is. It's just a new way of sitting around a campfire, isn't it? 
We're just doing it with our device. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And it's really strange that I think social media platforms have been so slow on the uptake of audio, considering what they've done with images and video previously. Audio seems very much the last piece of the puzzle that they're going for. But in terms of the apps and platforms you mentioned there, I think when people think of social audio nowadays, they think of Clubhouse because that was the first one yeah. that really made a big impact in their area, launched with this massive fanfare and also a hint of exclusivity about it because you could only join Clubhouse if you were invited by someone else. It had to be by invitation. Do you think that was part of the early popularity of that platform, this fear of missing out? And that's why Clubhouse has maybe faded into the background slightly. Well, so they did very well in that because there, there were a lot of platforms bubbling around that did a similar thing because I was certainly invited to kind of be a beta tester in lots of these things. So there were lots of those, but obviously you need enough people joining to make it worthwhile. And, and it's the sort of thing where you need your friends to be there, isn't it? That's the point of social media. You need to have people who you're going to want to interact with, which is why when you get to a certain age, some newer platforms don't make much sense to you because Snapchat's no fun if you're in your 40s because your friends aren't there, right? It's, it's that kind of thing. Um, I think Clubhouse was really interesting. There was a, someone who wrote an online article explaining kind of predicting Clubhouse curve and he did it quite well. They obviously had a good marketing strategy behind them and they were genuinely passionate about what they were doing. So they didn't see audio as being, oh, this is for when you can't watch something. They were putting audio first and that was exciting because those of us who are in the audio world and know and love audio, it is the first thing for us. It's, it's our most important platform. And so they'd obviously got some budget behind having some of those celebrities so that there was a buzz being created mm. and they would create rooms every so often at their invitation. They were also very good in, in the early days well, and still now at curating a community. So they would have their town halls where their founders would go on. And in the early days, it was quite easy to talk to them and raise suggestions and and put your ideas in. So they were very much building it as a collaborative community. And then lockdown as well meant that lots of people were around and feeling that they wanted some connection. So they had this wave of new people. But then the problem is once you're there, it's kind of what am I going to do with this toy now? How does it fit into the mm. rest of my life and my ecosystem? And so things have calmed down quite a lot because there isn't as much going on. People have got busy with other things and you need to be in there having a regular room and regular content in order to have a little following. So now I pretty much use Clubhouse once a week my friend Kemi, this is slightly niche, but my friend Kemi is an amazing midwife. And in my other life, I do a lot of stuff in the birth activism world. And she runs an amazing room every week where she brings together really experienced birth workers and parents. And she'll talk about a particular topic. You know, she'll talk about this week, we're going to discuss what we know about gestational diabetes, or we're going to discuss mm. what we know about induction. And so she's created that regular room that's really interesting and I, I use it, I go on a run and uh, it takes, you know, I get distracted by being angry so I can, <laughs> I can go, and, um, go and have a run while being cross about the state of maternity services. I was running rooms regularly with my friend Corinne, who's an amazing mobile journalist, trainer and um, audio digital production, amazing trainer uh, from Australia. And so that was really nice. We ran a, a regular room talking about radio technology and mobile journalism topics. And there were quite a lot of mobile journalism rooms going on in the early days. But again, it was that thing of every week you're trying to curate a space and we had some regular listeners and, and that was really nice. But as lockdown was easing, we were getting on with other stuff. We had to, after six months, kind of evaluate what we were doing. Of course. And it was a lot of effort for 
not a huge amount of tangible reward other than it's really nice to spend time with interesting people. You know, the time involved in coming up with topics and curating things and talking to people wasn't actually really worth it after we'd done it for six months. We decided we enjoyed doing it, but it wasn't worth carrying on. So I think all of those things come into it in Clubhouse. It's like, why are you using it? What's its sweet spot? And it had a lot of users, but you need content is the thing, isn't it? You need to go, you need to be finding good content. You need to know where you are in the app. You need to have people on there that you want to listen with and engage with. So I think it's sort of settled down and it'll probably trundle on. And the influence it's had and other apps like it have had has been that all the other players have kind of adopted this. A bit like Snapchat broke through with the stories feature, but then Instagram kind of, I don't know what the lawyers would say about it, but you know, Instagram was heavily influenced, I yeah. would imagine. Or maybe it was complete coincidence that they came up with stories, but Instagram made the stories feature mainstream. But Snapchat was the one that really innovated it. And so I think that Clubhouse probably was the one that broke through in innovating the audio, live audio room kind of idea. Although anyone who's worked in radio will laugh heartily at the idea that that's a new idea. Um, But it will remain to be seen about whether this becomes a feature that just becomes standard in every app or whether it's something that people have for a couple of years and then it will just slide away because no one used it. We'll talk more about some of the other platforms available at the moment, but in terms of Clubhouse and the the invitation mm-hmm. exclusivity they had in the early days, do you think that became as much of a millstone as it did kind of a marketing tool? Because one of the problems with any platform is if you've got more people speaking than want to listen, that's going to be an issue. And here you've got a new app which doesn't have a audience to start off with unlike twitter spaces which is launched obviously to its current user base clubhouse you're trying to build a new platform but fundamentally your main user base is people who want to broadcast rather than people who want to listen i don't know i think there was a buzz around it because everyone had heard about it and you know if you've got the names of oh we've just had this massive celebrity in then people want to hear about it and they want to find out what's going on some of it was a very practical technical reason that they were saying you know we're doing it by invite only because we need to manage how many people are coming onto the platform at once because we're still in beta mode Mm. we want to make sure that our service can cope with developing the android version of the app and the ios version and we need to sort of track what's going on and we want to have that conversation with the community about what's working and what's not working but you know FOMO is is a tactic in marketing isn't it it didn't Mm. hurt them to start with for it to feel like there's this cool club of people and I know early on they were trying to make sure they were really focusing on the community and they wanted to make sure that that it wasn't just flooded with white blokes from San Francisco really early on like they were genuinely trying to build a community where there were lots of black voices being centered to start with And that was really interesting. It meant that someone who's kind of a a white British lady living in the countryside in Norfolk, I was able to hear a lot of people having discussions, especially with all the things that were happening in America. There were sort of people running live reaction rooms to that. And so I was able to hear some perspectives and some really personal stories from people that it was a massive privilege to be able to to listen and, and hear people sharing so generously their experiences for someone who lives in a different part of the world to be able to kind of get that handle on how people in America were reacting to ongoing events like the storming of the Capitol and all that kind Mm. of stuff was fascinating. The other thing I think they did really well because they had that invite stuff early on was they created a culture where people welcomed you. So the first thing that might happen when you logged on to Clubhouse was that it would make an announcement to anyone on the app who was your friend and the person who invited you, you hopefully did know in some way. And then they could start a room and show you how it worked. 
And then the idea was that once you'd been on for a week or two and you got the hang of it and you started to get your invites, that because you'd had that and that norm had been set, that when you saw your friend who'd just arrived on Clubhouse, you would start a room with them and you'd be like, oh, hi, you know, this is how it works. But again, that was really clever because it encouraged people early on to just, they had, there were parts of the community who set up rooms where the whole point of the room was just come into the room. We're going to talk to you about what the buttons do and just raise your hand and talk on the stage and get used to it. And it's fine. It doesn't matter what you just say where you're from. It doesn't matter. It's just to get used to the buttons. And that was great because it meant that you conditioned people to join in. Yeah. It always feels horrible if you're the one without the invite, right? You know, that's <laughs> that's that's the thing, but I think it was strategic for them. Whether or not they could have taken the invites away earlier, I don't know, but I think it was a deliberate strategy on their part to make sure that their servers didn't get overloaded and they could mm. kind of build a culture as well. So Clubhouse obviously isn't the only social audio platform. There's dozens of them available mm. now. The ones that have potentially made the most noise so far are Clubhouse and Green Room, which is Spotify's version. Twitter yeah. Spaces is the latest one that really seems to be getting the most traction as well. What do you think the main challenge that these platforms face right now is for them to gain that mainstream use? Two things. Firstly, I think people still don't know what to do with them. And I don't think the platforms know what to do with them either. So Clubhouse mm. might have a bit more of a vision because Clubhouse was built around social audio and that's its point. Whereas Twitter Spaces really struggles, I think, because I know why I go on to Twitter and it's not for audio or it's not for social audio, mm. you know. And so they're trying to shoehorn in another person's vision for a cool way of doing social media into their platform. So, yeah, I think I think the platforms need to have more examples of how people can use this and why it's important because it seems there's a lot of development going on because other people are doing it and they don't want to get left behind in case it becomes the trend rather than saying here's why we think it's cool we've made these tools go and play with them and then we'll see what you do with them and adapt accordingly my challenge with understanding social audio at the moment is to do with the way I understand social media. And I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there in the fact that when I use Twitter, I'm using it in a place where probably I don't want to be having a conversation with someone. It might be on a train carriage. It might be in the toilet. It's somewhere like that where you don't necessarily want to be in a two-way communication. Likewise with podcasting. When I listen to podcasts, I'm usually in a place where I don't want to contribute. It might be I'm going for a run or it might be I'm in the gym or something along those lines. And for me, that becomes a real blocking point with adding in two-way social conversations into the existing social media platforms. Because the way I'm trained to use those platforms don't necessarily involve that audio aspect. So it it's interesting to see how that develops. And we know that Facebook are the latest people. They're the ones that are going to be adding audio to their platforms next. We've seen some movement in the United States. We've seen Facebook podcasts launch in the UK. There's a few rumours circulating around exactly what they're going to be offering. What are you expecting from Facebook audio when it does arrive? Very, very little. Facebook doesn't <laughs> understand audio. It hasn't understood audio for years. One of the most entertaining slash excruciating slash embarrassing uh, talks I've ever been to. I was at a very large international radio event and this was several years ago now. And someone from Facebook had come along to discuss Facebook's audio strategy. So the entire radio industry was like, well, we probably better go and have a listen if Facebook's going to talk about its audio strategy. OK, they must be doing some really interesting things. 
And so hundreds of people who are the top executives from all of the radio stations in Europe and some from America and some from Australia, people who really understand audio and radio and have millions of listeners collectively all trundled into this room and someone from Facebook sort of said, so Facebook's doing audio. And we were like, OK, cool. What, you, what, you, what have you got? And they were like, yeah, the thing is, sometimes, sometimes you can't watch video. Sometimes you're chopping the carrots and you just want to listen to something. And we were like, mm. uh, and then they were like, and sometimes people are in parts of the world where their internet's not good enough for video. So we're going to bring in the option where you can just turn off the camera. And they still didn't roll it out for years. And it was just like, okay, we don't really see Facebook as a threat. Possibly in the last five years or so. I mean, there are some good audio people there doing some interesting things, but I don't think they understand audio. I think America, the kind of executives and people who work in Silicon Valley are very dismissive of radio. They think that they have reinvented everything with podcasts. And because they listen to podcasts, they think that everybody else does. Now, the uptake of podcasts in America is pretty strong, but I think it's still only like 16% or something, which is not to be sniffed at, obviously. But I think they can be in their own little bubble. And I think there's a disdain for audio. And mm. it's seen as something, if you're coming at it from the angle of, oh, it's there when you can't watch video, because video is the proper thing, right? Mm. And this is a lesser experience. You're not going to be developing a product that's going to be any good. You're not selling it on its benefits, are you? You're not selling it on its intimacy or its connection. Or... You, you don't really know what the benefits are because you don't believe it. And I suppose all of this comes back around to the whole content argument so it's why would anybody listen because obviously you don't have to be talking and participating in these rooms necessarily but why would you be doing it well either it's going to be some of your friends and you've arranged to to meet and have a chat or there are some interesting people with something that you want to hear there's got to be a benefit to you for joining in and taking your time to listen to someone rambling on in a room versus a really beautifully produced podcast versus listening to the radio or listening to your music so it's still done on the content creators to create something that's interesting and useful and well thought through. And again, those are the times when people who've got a radio or a podcasting or a content background can can seemingly do very well because they know about how to signpost content and how to trail ahead to what's coming later on and how to tell a story and all of those things. So yeah, I'm, I don't know. It depends how much Facebook wants to market it and push stuff, but I don't really think that audio is going to be a massive focus for them. I think it's them trying to make sure that they've covered all their bases in the metaverse or whatever it is we've got to be doing in the next few years. And they're just ensuring that they've got some audio available, although they've taken years to develop it and they still haven't managed to roll it out to everybody yet. So don't know. It's interesting what you said about Facebook's comment towards audio versus video, because it reminded me of Gary Vernacek's comments when he first discovered Clubhouse and he kind of presented the idea that audio can be this passive medium that you can listen to while you're ironing or washing the car or whatever, as if it was a new idea. But as you say, those of us who have been working in audio have kind of understood that potential and that power of it for, for many years. The, the phrase that made me want to stab my eyes out with a fork when I first heard it was when Periscope, going back a bit, Periscope sort of announced that they were going to have the option of doing audio only feeds if you wanted to. Mm. And someone in the comments was like, oh my gosh, this is like live podcasting. And I was like, or as it's also known, <laughs> radio. <laughs> <laughs> For those of us who are working in the audio content world at the moment, and like you say, the, the social audio doesn't really feel like it's reached that point yet where it's become a brilliant distribution channel for audio. 
but we un- we know the power of social media. We know we've got an engaged Twitter audience, for example. What should we be thinking about if we're trying to distribute audio content via those platforms right now as it stands? So this is where you should be thinking about sharing clips of your best bits. And this is where visualization of audio comes in, because we know that you need some kind of picture in order for it to be shareable on social media. So that doesn't mean that you have to film everything with cameras and make it look like a telly set unless you want to. Doing that is a very quick way of turning stuff around because you don't have to do anything special. You've already got the content and you've already got the footage that you've filmed often automatically and with whatever system you're using. But you can do other things. So you can do animations, you can do kind of wordles. You obviously want to make sure that you've got a transcription or you can just take a photo or use an audiogram, something like that. Anything so that you've effectively turned your raw audio clip into a little video of some kind and you've put some text in so that people know what it is and they understand and they're primed that they've got to click on something and listen to it. And also that you've got the transcript so that they can still understand the content if they're on the train somewhere busy, they can't hear and so that Google can find it. So for that, it's about thinking in terms of clips. So anyone who's worked in radio or podcasting should understand what a good clip sounds like. It's that little moment when your ears prick up. And we tend to find that people, it works best when you've got a piece of content that's about two to four minutes long. But don't take that as a, I must do a piece of content that's two to four minutes wrong. And if anything's shorter or longer, I shall not share it. No, you know if something's good and you want to share it. And sometimes the clip you want to share will genuinely only be kind of 10 seconds of someone doing something because it was funny. Mm. Um, But you want to think about from your show, have I got a couple of clips, two to four clips that are two to four minutes long that I can share that I actually genuinely want to share with my friends that I'm proud of or that made me laugh or that made me think or that made me cry, had some kind of emotion. You can also, if you're doing a prereq, obviously share a little clip and then trail ahead to whatever your full show is, your full podcast, your full live show. And the thing (laughs) that I and others have said before is that if you can't find two to four clips from your show that are interesting and inspiring (laughs) and that you want to share, then the problem is not your social media strategy. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's the kind of take up or conversion rate if you like on those visualized audio clips call them audiograms call them what you want because it still feels to me somewhat and i'm a big fan of them personally and i do them a lot with the content i make but it still feels like you're kind of crowbarring audio into a platform that isn't necessarily suited to it and you're still relying on the ultimate point of them is to remove them from one platform and bring them into another platform be that your podcasting app Yep. So I don't have figures on exactly, each creator will have figures on what converted well for them and what didn't. But I think you can have a look at some of the bigger players. So for example, LBC, the UK speech-based radio station that does a lot of news content, they have done fantastically well with their visualization strategy. They use uh, automatic camera switching systems, so they don't have to spend a lot of time afterwards making something look pretty. It's just recorded, so it's kind of a low level of effort for the production team because it, they already have the material and they they clip stuff up. They put stuff on their social media. And for example, there's a presenter called James O'Brien. He starts his show with a kind of, not quite a rant, it's a well thought through, he's a journalist, it's a well thought through written piece that he kind of reads, but he's been doing that for well over 10 years. 
only since they started visualizing it, he can easily be getting a million views on that clip, mm. which is probably more than people who had listened to it or were aware of the station. So it's allowed them to have more awareness of their brand overall and for him to have more coverage as a presenter. And then what happens is because those clips get shared, because they're interesting and people people agree or disagree, but they, they share them around, sometimes those stories then get taken up by newspapers it becomes a story in itself so you might not have heard the item on the radio show but it has a life beyond the radio show and the other thing as well for news-based organizations to think about is that if you are doing that automatic camera stuff is it then makes your clips much easier to share with television news. So if you have interviewed a politician and they've said something particularly stupid or resigned on air or whatever it is, and you have a genuine newsworthy moment, if you've got your visualisation ready to go, then you can you can easily share it with other outlets. But yeah, it's just, I think for me, it's coming back to thinking about what you want to share, being proud of the stuff you're making, having a play with it. Like, don't worry too much. Put it out there and see what happens. You can never, you can never tell what's going to work and what doesn't. But if you know in your heart it was something that you thought was really good or you had a lot of reaction to at the time it was going out, why not share it? Just have a play, see what happens and come up with some innovative ways of visualizing it so that sometimes you might be doing your automatic camera system but other times you might actually want to spend the time to just make an animation um, and visualize the content i've got it's quite an old article now but i've got some examples on my website and one of them is ira glass who's a radio presenter and producer in america famous for this american life amongst many other things and he did a piece about creativity and how frustrating it is when you start out because you don't think anything you do is good enough because your taste is better than your skill and how you know if you keep going over time your skill will catch up to what you actually see and feel and somebody visualized that they created a, a kind of a wordle so that the, as he spoke the text popped up in creative and interesting ways and that meant that that clip then had a life of its own way beyond that one podcast episode that's had hundreds if not millions of views that it would not otherwise have had and more people are aware of of him and what he said you know so just go out and play. Creative people have fun with this stuff. Don't get bogged down in the numbers. If consistently you're putting a lot of effort in and only three people are looking at it and that makes you feel tired and stressed, then stop doing it. Mm. But you never know. You might have that thing that actually gets a bit of traction. Now, when we were talking before I hit record on today's episode, you mentioned something to me which I've never heard of. And I, I always get excited when there's new developments, particularly in audio, that I've never heard of. And so I'm assuming if I've not heard of it, there's probably a fair few other people who haven't heard of it as well. And it's kind of connected to social audio. You mentioned object-based audio. So I'd like to spend a moment just talking about that briefly, if possible. First off, explain to me exactly what object-based audio is. Oh, I think it's the future of audio, future of audio production, certainly. There are currently several different definitions of object-based audio, as there always is in the early days of a new technology. People are trying to work out the definitions and what it can do. But effectively, it's the idea that every single piece of content that you make can be broken down and used in different ways. So just like when you're baking a cake, you've got all of the different ingredients that you put into your cake to to mix up, to make your program, to make your cake. But in object-based audio, we can keep all those ingredients separate. So it's like we can make a cake with them, but then we can make another version of the cake that hasn't got eggs in, and we can make another version of the cake that's got some more sugar in. So what you've got is the mixture of telemetry, metadata, and transcription. So you know exactly what's going on in each piece of audio. You're going to record your audio in multi-track. 
and you're going to not throw away the information about each part of that recording as you go along. And this means that you can then reuse that audio in as many ways as you want and possibly in ways that we haven't even invented or thought about yet. So you could have your program that goes out live on the radio or a podcast show that you've already made. And then because we've got the information about the item, let's say for some bizarre reason, someone at your organization wants to develop an app that sends you a text every time anyone on your station says the word cheese. I don't make the rules, but you know, perhaps that's what it is. Um, so if you have all this information there, without you as a producer having to do any more effort, your colleagues on the development team could go off and they'd have all this bucket of data and they could be like, right, we're going to, you know, every time someone says the word cheese, we're going to create this app and it'll send you a text message. You could go, I'm going to... I can mark out which bits, if I've got a magazine program, a podcast show where you have more than one item, you can very easily segment the audio. A lot of people are doing that already. But then wouldn't it be really great if we could easily share that middle segment of the interview with the big star without having to go in and do tons of editing? We could just write a program that says, OK, pull out that audio, mm. pop it over there. You can do things where you've got interactive adventures, where people, you might have recorded lots of different endings to something, but then people can navigate their way through the story. You can also treat the audio differently. So a really good example of this is if you maybe have a button on your phone, so you're on a train and it's really noisy and you just want to have a version of the program that's easier to hear in a noisy environment. Or perhaps you're watching the television and um, grandma or granddad has got um, a hearing issue and they can just have a different mix of the program given to them. But we didn't have to create 14 mixes of the program as a producer. We created one mix, but because we put the right information into our files, grandma can press one button, have her headphones in and it will give her a mix that's really comfortable for her. They've already been doing some experiments in television with this. So on casualty, for example... There are, have been a couple of versions online where you can go in and as an audience member, you can use a slider. And so you can hear the mix that was intended by the producer, or you can take away some of the background sounds to give yourself a mix that's easier to hear if you've got some hearing issues. And they did a lot of work with the producers to make sure that they prioritized background noise. So it's not just taking away all the background noise because some of the noise is really important to the program. So if you've got a, a drama about people in a hospital who are saving lives, you want to hear the dialogue, but you also, some of the sound effects are really important because if the machine on the heart monitor goes from beep, beep, beep to kind of beep, that's important, right? We need to know that that patient has potentially got something going wrong with them. So they worked like to how to prioritize the audio, the each element of audio so that they knew which was important and which, which bits could be more safely taken away and not taken away from the story. There are so many uses for this and some of them we haven't even invented yet. We don't know what we're going to do with it, but if we can just label up our audio as we go through, it will give us so many options in the future. And also... We need to stop throwing away some of the data we already have. So, for example, if you have ever worked on a phone-in show at a radio station or you've had a guest come in on a program like Clean Feed or Riverside or something when you're recording your podcast, you might well have put their name in. So you might be like, oh, well, Anne's on track one and Jim's on track two and my sound effects are on track three. And you've already put that information into your system. But then what happens is that we... 
when we publish the program, we kind of throw away that information and then we might have to write a program description completely separately. And then in the future, when you're going through your archive, you might not have a decent record about who was on where. Whereas if we can keep all that information linked together, we type it in once and then in the future, we can go back in our archive and find, oh, that's the bit when Jim was talking about Mm. social audio. Great, it's there. Some of it sounds like it's admin, but actually there are some really creative uses if we record what's going on in the background when we're making our content, because then we've got all of this content that we can reuse however our creativity takes us. Or we can just carry on doing what we're doing. We can still put out a program that's perfectly decent and then that's all we do with it. That's fine too. It just gives us more flexibility. That's what you mean. It's kind of retaining the information and the data that you're putting into the process rather than just losing it. And you're not creating more work. You're just logging the work you're doing. Yeah. And in that way, you can then go off and, and use it another way. So obviously transcripts, everyone should be doing that. They're amazing because they mean that people who can't hear what we've produced either because they're deaf or because they're unable to listen to something. They're on a train, they're doing something else. They just want to read the transcript, can find it. But that also means that our search engines can find it because that's been part of the problem. We were talking earlier about the social sharing of audio. Part of the problem has been people finding the audio because it's not been indexable by search engines. Whereas now if we can just automatically transcribe stuff, then we stand a chance if someone's trying to find something in Google that they're going to find your podcast. Whereas 10 years ago, they just wouldn't have because the search engine would just see an audio file and wouldn't really know what was inside it. I was going to ask you about search actually and whether object-based audio plays into this because we saw maybe 12 months ago, Apple starting to talk about in audio search where you could find specific pieces of content within an audio file. So for example, if you take a sporting example, if you're particularly interested in Lionel Messi, you could search podcast content for mentions of Lionel Messi. Is that where this kind of comes into play in that environment or is that something completely different again? Yeah, so I'm not sure exactly how they're doing that, but a way to do it would be to have a a transcript, but then that transcript be timed to where in the audio it is. So yeah, your metadata being linked together. There have also been pieces of work done over the years on matching sound waves were a bit like if you remember Shazam back in the day on kind of matching sound waves and and matching the patterns so there are other ways for searching for audio but yes having a transcript linked to when people were talking would absolutely be able to help you find things and the other thing is if we if you had released the metadata of who was on each track then that would be another way so even if during the whole course of the recording they never said their own name for some reason you'd still be able to find who was there without the show notes being necessary so I mean I'm not saying don't write show notes I think that show notes are useful <laughs> as well but yeah it's just giving you a whole load of creative opportunities and the option to automate some of the post-production work that you might be doing every day that's very tedious at the moment so reversioning your live show for um reuse as a podcast you might at the moment be having to go in and spending an hour half an hour after your show going in and pulling out the bits that you want whereas if you if you're able to label up the tracks correctly you'll be able to just sort of press a button and it be done or press a button and then a human just listen over it and adjust a couple of things so it's, it's all of that stuff it's just making things a bit smoother but then thinking laterally about well if we are producing in this way what can we do that's really fun and creative that we haven't done before because it's been too much effort and and for accessibility reasons as well i think it's going to be absolutely key before i let you go Anne, i want to just spend a couple of minutes talking about the future of this space be it social audio or be it audio within social media platforms 
what do you see happening from now? What do you think the big developments are going to be in this space if we're looking ahead 12, 24 months? That is a really interesting one and I wish I had an answer. So I think object-based <laughs> is going to be uh, is going to become increasingly important. I've noticed Clubhouse doing some really fun things with spatial audio. So if you've been listening on your headphones into Clubhouse, you will hear the audience, uh, the speakers are being given a kind of a stereo effect. So it sounds like they're sitting around you in a circle, which is a really clever thing that they've done. I think the platforms are going to need to work hard to try and find their relevance and their place in our time and our use of social media or other entertainment. So we are starting to see platforms being able to do clips of what's happened in the social audio room so that you can share them afterwards. But I think we need a bit more strategy from people around what they're doing in those rooms and why they're using it and why they would want to give their time to it versus doing their own podcast or being on a a radio show, for example. So I'm not sure if we're going to see, if Clubhouse wasn't able to capitalise on that massive wave that they had this time last year, almost, I think they've kind of levelled out to where they're going to be. And so I'm I'm not sure if we're going to see a huge amount of innovation. This clip will come back to bite me, won't it? But unless we get another player in who's really passionate about audio, I'm not sure what can happen with the social audio platforms other than tinkering a bit around the edges with the features that they've got because the innovation was them existing and they've kind of all built themselves. You mentioned that conflict of time that people might want, not want to spend an hour of their day creating a clubhouse room which only has x amount of listeners versus their podcasts wouldn't it make sense that the development is that the platforms a clubhouse or a green room or whatever it is it becomes a way for people to record interactive podcasts so whatever audio you get at the end of your hour long clubhouse conversation can be distributed via an rss feed for example yeah, and I think we've been seeing a lot of content creators do that, that they've recorded as live, then either hopefully tidied it up a bit before releasing it or they've, <laughs> or they've just released it to the world. I've also seen people do quite clever stuff with private clubhouse rooms where it's a very easy way of recording a guest if you're both on a smartphone and you don't have a more complicated setup right. um, at home and you just want to create a private room to record a guest and then download the audio. So I think for people who've already got podcasts, it's an interesting way of giving yourself a cheap option of having like a phone-in show or lots of live guests without needing a ton of extra equipment. But if you're really serious about what you're doing, you've probably already got the kit and the infrastructure another way. You know, it depends on what mm-hmm. you're trying to create for your podcast, doesn't it? And I think podcasting is is this sort of nebulous term because those of us who've got more of, I mean, I was a speech radio producer for many years, so I know how much effort goes into making really good speech content. But for a lot of people, they see a podcast if audio is not their job, they might be doing a podcast as a marketing tool for their, you know, hypnotherapy business or their business coaching, whatever it is that they're doing. Then they kind of see a podcast as a very different thing. They see it as a quick, quote marks, conversation with someone. They just have an interview with, with a guest and top and tail it and then they're done and they see it as, you know, faster than video. So I think your perspective on why you're using audio and whether audio is central to your business or whether it's an adjunct to what your real business is, is really going to skew your perspective on how you use these platforms. 
And fascinating to talk to you about this area. It's a really exciting part of audio at the moment. And I think that kind of element of the unknown and nobody quite knowing what is going to happen over the next couple of years is one of the reasons that it is so exciting. If people want to find out more from you and what you do and your views on social audio and audio production and all the areas you touched on, you mentioned your website. Where can people find that? Yeah, so my website is annecharles.tv and that's Anne without an E. I do have in beta at the moment a, a little course about the social sharing of audio. It's currently for people who've got iOS devices, but um, at some point I'll get around to recording the Android videos. But it's it teaches you how to do some simple taking of clips and then visualizing them so that if you haven't done that before and you want some ideas for how to visualize your audio to share on social media, that's all there. It's called Socially Sharing Sound. And I'm also at Sparky and C on Twitter. And lovely to speak to you. Thanks for your time. Thank you. Exciting, right? And what I think is really exciting about social audio and object-based audio is it's still being shaped. It's not quite found the direction it's going in yet, which means you and I can help influence what happens in that part of the industry in the future. If you want to hear more from Anne, but you didn't have a chance to jot down her website and social links, etc., etc., then head into the description of this podcast. I'll put links there. You can go and give them a click and give her a follow. And that is also where you'll find the link to the VoiceWorks website. If you want any help with your audio strategy, be it podcasts or audio technology, or maybe some audio branding, you can get in touch with us via the website, voiceworks.ai. Plenty more to come from this series, so click subscribe now, click follow in your podcasting app and you'll get the next episode as soon as it's out. But that's it from today's Sound Business Podcast from VoiceWorks.